Welcome to The Rock Bite, where we speak our truth, slay sacred cows, and sometimes agree to disagree. This is an outdoor podcast that aims for the head. I'm Colin True, and today, as you no doubt could tell by the title of this episode, we are back with another outdoor movie review. And what makes an outdoor movie review different from any other movie review, you may ask? Well, I'll tell you, my guest and I are not only top of the pyramid outdoor enthusiasts, she more than I, I might say, but we also have real lives, and some would say that we are cinephiles. And today, we're going to Voltron together those two skill sets, watch a movie known for its outdoor elements, and determine if that movie wants to make us go outside the highest acclaim an outdoor movie, an outdoor-themed movie can achieve. So who is my guest? Well, surprise, surprise, Rock Fighters, it's not Justin Hausman today, but on the red carpet instead, it's the one, the only, Shantae Salabert! She's back! <laughs> All right. Thanks so much for having me, Colin. I am thrilled to be talking uh, with you today about... What? Well, what movie, Shantae? What movie are we talking about? We're going to talk about Vertical Limit. Do you remember the first time you saw Vertical Limit? I honestly, it's been a long time. Oh, same for for me. me. I had to think, when I rewatched it this week, I realized that I hadn't seen it in a really long time. Let's say, I don't know, sometime in the last 10 years for sure was probably the last time I saw it or the first time I saw it. Um, And I think it was... I, I guarantee you, it was when I went through a whole phase where I was looking to see any vaguely mountain-related movie I could find on Netflix, <laughs> and this was on Netflix at the time, and I was uh-huh. like, well, this looks great. I can't wait. <laughs> we were trying to find a way to get you back on the show, and you've been incredibly busy. You have so much going on. I'm like, let's do a movie review. What do you want to do? And you did not hesitate. You're like, we're doing Vertical Limit. Like It was just like, boom, right there. Why, why did you want to talk about this? I mean, listen, in my opinion, Vertical Limit is sort of like the showgirls of mountain movies. <laughs> <laughs> like, is, that, is that an insult or a compliment? It's both. It's both. <laughs> It's really a compliment because, listen, Showgirls, okay? You've seen Showgirls, yes? I, I, I have, mean, I have. know me, bless her. Um, Showgirls is a cinematic uh, legend. It's iconic for multiple reasons. And we could look at Vertical Limit and say the same thing, you know? Uh, it's true. Everybody has their own experience when they watch these movies. Um, and maybe they're not exactly Oscar nominated, but they absolutely live on in the zeitgeist. So that is, for me, Vertical Limit is like more than 127 hours or wild or anything like that. It's like one of those outdoor movies that it wants to be so much. Well, let's dig into it. I'll start with the synopsis. This is just the Googled synopsis, which I think I already have issues with it, even in the synopsis. So the synopsis is feeling responsible for his father's death which occurred on a climbing expedition. All right, number one right there, not a climbing expedition. They were just rock climbing, but okay, let's not slow things down. Peter Garrett, Chris O'Donnell's character, has quit the pursuit in favor of photography, while his sister Annie, Robin Tunney, has become a top climber after Annie is hired by the wealthy businessman Elliot Vaughn, played by the incomparable Bill Paxton, to lead a trek. Inclement weather causes the crew to be trapped, Facing his fears, Peter assembles a rescue team, including experienced climber Montgomery Wick, who's Scott Glenn, to save them. Inclement. Definitely glossed over a few things in that synopsis just there. Just, you know, just, a few, just some yeah. inclement weather. There was like a small thunderstorm, you know. Right. Things get tough. The no big deal. No big deal. You know, They're definitely you know, not climb- in the high Himalaya. Also, we're feeling responsible for his father's death. You caused your father's death. All right, let's, let's just call it what it is. You murdered your father. Let's check out this vertical limit. After murdering his father, 
That would that wouldn't. That wouldn't suck. Uh, the movie was released on December eighth, two thousand. It's directed by Martin Campbell. Best known. I don't know if you're looking at the outline or if you've looked at the outline. Do you know what he's best known for directing? Uh, Bond films, right? Yeah, <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah. Two Bond films: GoldenEye and Casino Royale. Yeah, well, you it's can the see the mark of wannabe Bond action vibes all over this movie. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if James Bond has ever gone up against nitroglycerin like uh, Chris O'Donnell does in uh, in Vertical Limit, but we'll get to that. So movie stars, like we mentioned, Chris O'Donnell, Robin Tunney, Bill Paxton, Scott Glenn, and our guy, Ed Vistas. Oh, Ed Vistas. Like, bless you, sir. So good to see him on the big screen. Love that man. We're going to have a lot to say about Ed coming up. That's right. I forgot how much he's in this movie. I mean, up to the end of the movie, he's just like lingering in the background. He's lingering in the background anytime they're at base camp. I don't know if you noticed, but they, they <laughs> scream every shot so that Ed is just like over someone's shoulder. It's great. They're like, hey, yeah. hey, we're legit because this guy is here. And you know, this guy's here. He hadn't even, I think, at that point accomplished all of those 8,000 meter peaks without oxygen. He'd only done some of them at that point. But they're like, hey, this guy. They say in the movie, it's a 12. He was, he had two left. He had two left. That's right. Um, but uh, yeah, I love that they were just like, where could we put Ed? Put Ed somewhere. Ed needs to be lingering. So some notes from production. I found an, uh, a great Washington Post article from December of 2000. Uh, they, you know, they didn't film on location, but they did go to New Zealand and British Columbia. They also created a lot of the sets on sound stages and miniatures. I mean, it was a pretty elaborate production. Um, the multiple members of the cast, including Robin Tunney and Scott Glenn, did their own stunts. That um, Tyrolean Traverse that you see Robin Tunney doing, mm-hmm. Robin Tunney doing, that's her, which is pretty mm-hmm. impressive. Producers from Columbia Pictures at the time recognized the, quote, public's appetite for alpine dramas after watching the success of John Krakauer's Page Turner about the 96th disaster on Mount Everest, which, of course, was in the thin air. This definitely just, I wrote it later on. I mean, this movie could not have been made or could never be made again, could not have been made before or be made again. This is an absolute capitalization of the outdoor movement of the 80s and 90s. And it's like, let's make, let's make a real outdoor movie, but also an extreme outdoor movie. Super extreme, (laughs) full of drama. And regarding the inclusion of things like nitroglycerin, back to the extreme nature of it, director uh, Martin Campbell and star Scott Glenn had several quotes. They said they're make what they're making is a roller coaster ride, which will put your heart in your mouth. You know, if you wanted to make a movie about the de- the definitive mountain climbing film, that would be as interesting as watching paint dry. <laughs> so there you go. I mean, they had to they had to make it Hollywood. No one's gonna watch like climbers just heavy breathing for two hours. But this movie is a bit of a punchline, I feel like, in general, kind of to the outdoor community. To the but definitely was your choice. So you said you definitely having another look at it. I mean, what, what were you expecting going in and kind of, you know, did it did it live up to the expectations in your mind? Did you enjoy it more the second time? Oh, yeah, I absolutely enjoyed it more. I well, I've also like in the time, let's say it's been, I don't know, 10 or 12 years since I first watched it. In that time, you know, I became uh, more of a climber. So I've, you know, done multi-pitch climbs. I climb outdoors, whatever. Uh, So I, you know, I viewed it through a different lens this time. And I knew that's the punchline, right? Is that if you are somebody who climbs or you're at least like vaguely familiar with climbing, there's a lot in this movie that is not exactly correct. Like I can't even get cams and 
their use in this movie is just bizarre. But but I thought like, all right, is this movie A as entertaining as I remember it being? And B, yeah, will I see it through this this eye, this fresh eye of like somebody who does climb and has climbed and has been in these scenarios where thankfully no one has cut my rope. <laughs> um but yeah, I, no kidding, right? Yeah, so it made it way more fun, honestly, because I think the average moviegoer might watch this and be like, that was awesome, like, so much adrenaline, what a cool movie, the mounts are rad. And then I'm like... <laughs> just giggling, totally. <laughs> laughing the whole time, rolling my eyes in absolute joy. Like, there's something fun about seeing mainstream media get something so totally wrong. And it is so much of its time, though. And I mean, and I what I said earlier about it, it could only I don't think it could be made again. And this is on multiple levels. We'll get definitely stuff you're saying about the outdoorsy part. But just the opening scene, like the font on the screen. Right. And the way they're like following like the hawk or the eagle over the landscape in Utah. And I'm like, they this would be. I mean, just the, I put the, I wrote down the, the extremes they go in order to make everything like an 11. Everything is just dialed up, right? Even the sound, every clunk of something okay. is accentuated. I mean, it just almost felt like a parody yes. of itself, but it was made so sincerely. Yes, yes, totally. I mean, even the music just has that, like, it's almost melodramatic and it feels like, oh my God, like if right? a made-for-TV movie was taking place in the Himalaya, it was true in the Karakoram, my fault. Yeah, like how many beats away is Vertical Limit from like Sharknado? And I, I, and I'm not even saying that like as a joke. Yeah, like, I mean, it's like, they're pretty freaking close. Only like the people of Sharknado like were in on it. Yeah. Right? Well, and I think the difference, like I said, is that the average person doesn't really see necessarily any of the nitpicky, outdoorsy climbing things that we would see. But I right. think even then, the movie is pretty overly dramatic. You know, it's really aiming to be this giant action film and with this, you know, all these different plot lines intertwining. You've got the mysterious old guy, the bearded man who then dry shows his face because he's got to go up to the mountain and find his frozen wife. And, you know, just like all sorts of things. It's constant, like helicopters, things are exploding. There's a whole, you know, the Pakistani army is out here doing their thing. Like there's just so much happening and all at once. It's, it really is. It's like everywhere, everything all at once, but mountains. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wrote down to like, uh, did the producers watch Cliffhanger and say like, ha, hold my beer. Like, no you think it. you can, you, you think you, uh, Lithgow and Stallone are over the top? Wait till we bring Chris <laughs> O'Donnell and Bill Paxton, two major action stars. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was really, it was that moment when they show, they showed the father hitting the deck. I mean, I, I, I didn't remember the most that. Unrealistic I, I, like, way you know that's not what would happen. <laughs> you know that. If, right? If he really did, if he would have, he would just be like, slat, slat. Oh, that was not slatty. They were up there. Like, we could talk about, and we will, there's a whole nother moment in the movie that is overly splatty. Oh, well, we are definitely talking about that moment. Yeah, yeah, when he hits the deck, they're just like, let's open with dad dying. And 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 then he he hits the ground. There's no blood. There's no explosion. Body no. Parts. He's just like, thunk. Shante, they showed it. I like I again back to Cliffhanger, like that op- another movie that opens with a climbing accident. And you know, the woman falls and then and and it's another Stallone is racked with grief, like Chris O'Donnell's racked with grief. But you know what happens. So I'm watching, I had completely forgotten this. And I'm watching, I'm like, okay, there you go. Hey falls. This is where this is where the we'll revisit this moment again at the end of the movie, I know. And then they show his That's because they have to one up cliffhanger. They have to one up cliffhanger. <laughs> It's unbelievable. 
Okay, well, let's get into the, some of the stuff in the movie. So, best outdoor moments. Let's talk about the, the the best things we like from an outdoor perspective. What what were some of yours? What were the things that you liked about uh, from an outdoorsy perspective in vertical living? I mean, listen, the cinematography was fantastic. It was you know these sweeping, big, beautiful you know shots of gorgeous landscapes. I mean, Monument Valley, mm-hmm. Valley at the beginning of the film, just stunning. And then you get into whatever they're using. Like, I think they used Mount Cook for some of it to stand in for K2. They did, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. you know, whatever they were using to stand in for K2 and that whole environment in the Karakoram, it's like, you know, gorgeous shots. And that was, you know, that's like a little like catnip for me. I just love seeing beautiful views of the outdoors. I mean, I prefer to be seeing them with my own eyes in the outdoors. Sure. But this is the second best, you know? Um, so I think they really nailed that, that kind of immersive feeling that you're in this cold place. It's beautiful. I mean, we'll get to like how cold they're dressed for. I have some beef, but, um, yeah, I thought they really nailed like the beauty of it and sort of putting you in that environment. And, you know, uh, even though I have major problems with how the climbing was done, it's always fun to see people climbing on film, whether or not they're doing things that you may do in the real world. <laughs> um, yeah. Right. Yeah. And I just, you know, and honestly, I loved the drama. We, like I said, so like we were just saying so many outdoor films now really lean into the emotions and the, you know, yeah. that side of things, which I think is great, but it's fun just sort of having a popcorn movie about climbing and about alpinism. Really. I think what, what any of these movies Sometimes when you get down, when you put it too much under the microscope, you you lose the fun of it, yeah. which is you know the, the Hollywoodness of it. And to your point, the the beauty of it really comes through on the. I would have been fun to see this on the big screen. Yeah. I think when you see like Base Camp and things like that, it doesn't. I think hold up as well when they get into the more intimate moments, yeah. like you're talking about. It, it, whether it's the climbing or the, you start to tell like, okay, you weren't actually there. You're not actually doing this, but uh, it did look good. It was a good looking film. Yeah. Utah for me came through, and I know that was a pretty short. And harrowing part of the movie. Yeah. Uh, I loved starting in, in Monument Valley. Oh, yeah. I thought that was really cool. It was great. Yeah. I mean, talk about those sweeping shots and you've got, you know, right away into the action on the wall, which is honestly kind of hilarious. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, it brings you right in. You know, you're in an outdoor movie from that first frame. <laughs> it's easy to talk about what went wrong. Um, <laughs> but what went right? Ed Visters. Like, listen, I think it is... Uh, sort of ridiculous that he's in this film and that, that like we said, he's in it a lot. Um, yeah. And I, I, but I love that man. I look, I look up to Ed. I've read his books. I, when I teach, I always use his motto, you know, getting to the top is optional. Getting down is mandatory. It's actually a guiding principle for me in the mountains. Um, so you don't get summit fever. Like, I think he's a good egg. I've met Ed before. Um, I, mm-hmm. I actually used to, keep a blog, uh, which I discovered is still active called what would ed do dot blogspot.com. I think it's what would ed genius. Yeah. Title. Just ridiculous. What would Ed do? And so it was just me documenting my hikes, at, you know, and backpacking trips. And then at the end, like, you know, whatever went wrong, I was like, what would Ed have done instead? I love it. But I told him, about I spent it. about a half an hour the other night going through oh it. Oh my gosh. It's ridiculous. I told Ed about this when I met him. And he just looked very confused. He's like, you have a website with my name? I'm like, well, no, it's, it's really about the spirit of you. That's, is that weirder? That's probably more weird. But it's, 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 it's the uh, Ed Veaster's equivalent of the Chuck Norris fact generator. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Poor yeah. Ed. Yeah, but it was great seeing him in this movie as 900 million times as we did. Uh, although I was like, Ed, 
how are you going to put Ed Visters in this movie and then not have him do anything? Yeah, I mean, so I had Ed in his uh, as, as best use of outdoor gear, footwear, and apparel. I just I, like the deployment of Ed Visters was something I wrote down. We climbed um, Rainier with him and Peter Whitaker when I was at was at, at Timberland, nice. and there's a photo of us, and it's like all sales and marketing people from Timberland, right? And Peter's pretty outspoken, and then you just see Ed. He's kind of in the back, kind of like leaning over somebody's shoulder like here's like the greatest living american mountaineer and he's like just in the back like hey i'm back here too guys you know the most like probably the most famous guy in the photo for sure but um it's so everything you just said about him like and it's almost his the scene where he has the most dialogue i feel like it's the meeting at, at base camp when they're when they're trying to rally peter's trying to rally everybody to go after go up and look for the people who've been lost in the avalanche right. and ed almost derails the movie because he's right <laughs> you know it's like He's like, yeah, he's just himself. He's like, yeah, no, you wouldn't go up there. It's suicide. He's yeah. like, yeah, this, this is just what happens in the mountains. And then, you know, Peter, you know, the morality police of the movie is like, we can't let them stay up there. It's like, well, actually, you kind of can. That's his sister. That's... You can't expect him. <laughs> Listen, he's morality. He's his he's, sister up there. So I'm going to give Peter some slack here. Yes, Ed is correct. Although I will have, yeah. you know, that's like my own morality is that I could never, as, as interested as I am in spending time in other mountain ranges, especially some of the, you know, bigger mountain ranges over in mm -hmm. Asia, it's this idea that that is how people view it is so messed up to me that, oh, no, no, people just, oh, we just leave them like they just die. I just, I can't fathom going up, you know, Everest or Annapurna or anything and just seeing like, dead bodies along the way that we just leave there yep. because it's not, it's not possible in many ways to bring them down. Right. So that's for me right. why I've never, you know, gotten into that level of mountaineering. It's just, I don't love the ethics of it. And I understand yeah. that that's why Ed would say something like that, but I just can't get down with it. Yeah. So the, but oh, you mentioned, you mentioned in, um, that, that you thought the Morse code was one of the better outdoor parts. I just loved it. I liked code. the, it had such a throwback feel in a movie where you have like exploding yeah. nitroglycerin. There was something sort of wholesome about them getting rescued partially because uh, they knew Morse code. Like it's just such a random, I think about that when I think about like ships and stuff, I don't necessarily think about using it in, you know, the Karakoram, but. <laughs> it, it did feel a little like, like somebody, you know, was like, oh, outdoorsy people, like they know Morse code. We got to make sure we get that into the script. Right? It was shoehorned <laughs> in there for sure. Or they just could not figure out the plot device by which they could communicate. With these radios that have an incredible range. Oh, my God. Well, that was it. I'm like, I think it would work. Uh, these radios will not be talking to each other from base camp on K2 to like up on the shoulder before the summit. You, you do make a good point, though. I feel like Morse code and quicksand are kind of like movie tropes from the 20th century that we just don't do anymore. Like you know, quicksand and Morse code, like they're just like, they were in everything for like cartoons, movies, yeah. and now it's like, ah, eh, no one does. Were you that. I was terrified of quicksand as a kid, and I was convinced, terrified. Convinced I need Morse code at some point. <laughs> All right, what about worst outdoor moments? What did what didn't work for me from an outdoors outdoorsy point of view? All right, okay, I've got a couple things here. Um, so let's just start at the beginning of the movie. We've kind of already discussed this, but when they're on the wall in Monument Valley and they're just out on their expedition on their day climb, yeah, their expedition, their major expedition to spend a couple hours climbing, maybe a day. Uh, just they, I did not understand again any of the mechanics of how they were operating on the wall. It is. I climb with friends and yeah, you're chit-chatting usually when you're not in the middle of climbing. You're, you know, it's fun. Like that's part of why we do this when we do it with other people is that social aspect. But it was such a bizarre way to be on the wall. And like the the weird 
like, oh, Annie, tell her to check her anchor. Like, sir, should, you know, do you not, that was just the whole thing was such a weird vibe. So that was one of my least, like, as far as visually, it was one of my most favorite scenes seeing on the valley. But from a realistic outdoor perspective, <laughs> I was already like, "Oh, right, this movie." <laughs> and it's it's the first appearance of uh, a couple times where there was a misunderstanding of how climbing cams are. Oh used. my gosh! Like I don't like the way climbs cams ended up in this. So cam for the listeners that are not familiar, it's a little squeezy device that has these kind of interlocking little teeth. They come in different sizes, and the idea is that you squeeze to narrow the cam so that it's its narrowest. You put it in a crack and then the cam expands and friction is holding it in there. And again, thinking about the fact that Annie is supposed to be, you know, this amazing world class, world class alpinist who's just hanging out with billionaires climbing. Um, the fact that she <laughs> couldn't properly place cams that wouldn't get pulled out in Monument Valley kind of surprised me. Well, that and then the dangling and like reaching with the cam, I'm like, like number one, like if you place a cam, it's never just a, a you know, putting a pa- piece of paper in a slot and it just fits. Like you gotta you like find, find the way in. Where do you release it, yeah. right? And it's that happens later. I don't know if we, if you want to call that out specifically later when Monique's on the cliff, and we're just I'm just gonna jump and jam this thing in and that's gonna work. I mean, it's like okay, guys, and and actually, this is something I thought of because if you read about it, they went to like a five week boot camp to learn to climb. The actors did and everything. I mean, there was there was a lot of and when we get into gear and apparel, there's something I want to talk about too. But it's there was a lot of effort to made for some level of authenticity mm-hmm. that looks like just half of it. They're like, eh. no, that, I'm sure that's <laughs> what it was. What other what other things didn't work for you from an outdoorsy perspective? Oh my gosh! All right, the uh, base camp party throwdown. Uh, what is going on here? Okay. So people definitely on the big mountains, when you have these expeditions, it's a primarily Everest, really there, there can be this party atmosphere, right? You hear about, it, you've read about it, you've seen it in documentaries, whatever, but not the night before <laughs> your summit push. Also K2, it's not a walk up. It's not like, Oh, we're at base. No. Now, to, now in a couple hours, we'll be at the summit. Like you stage yeah. your way up these peaks, unless you're doing like a pretty much all out, you know, quote assault on the peak or whatever, you know, you're setting up camps along the way, you're moving your gear up, you're fixing your lines, none of which seems to have been done in this movie. I don't know what they were doing to get up to the summit so quickly. Um, yeah, was there a single fixed rope? I don't think so. That you saw. And you even like when they got back to the part where where I'm guessing that Annie did her Tyrolean, and there was that big gap. And do you remember? That's right, that one. Yeah. He's holding where where he, Peter's holding his ice axes, and just jumps across this gaping void and just sticks it. He just sticks it. He's yeah. fine. He hasn't yeah. wrenched either of his shoulders out of their pockets. No. Like no. whatever. Anyway, some of this is just absolutely magnificently bizarre to me like how no one is going to be like getting crunk the night before your summit <laughs> also i wrote down the pre-climb party too who's doing all these dishes they're all having holding like mugs and stuff like that right and they're like and there's like they're, they're barbecuing chickens i mean it is like full-on like in the city barbecue yeah. only they're at base camp yeah. of k2 yeah and, how, and all 
these people, like K2 is not, like, it's certainly one of the, you know, more well-known 8,000 meter peaks, but it's not mm-hmm. the same exact vibe as you get at Everest where you also have, you know, backpacking groups coming in to just check out base. Right. Like, the the treks that come through. Yeah, there's and everything. so yeah. many more people yeah. from a volume standpoint than go, than go through the Everest base camp. Like K2 is not necessarily, it's such a technical mountain. And I don't know that you can really drag people up at the same way you could kind of drag some people up Everest. But yeah, the whole thing just was so, all right, I get that you needed some sort of plot device here, but come on, guys. The biggest problem I had, and it's exactly in line with what you're talking about, is how they had all this technical advisement, and they're supposed to be on K2, which, you know, they say it in the movie, so it's harder to climb than Everest and everything. That's the reputation it has. Everyone on the mountain looked like they were just out for like and the way they were dressed they were just out for like a random ski day oh my gosh they're just wearing their colorful like 90s snow gear beanies yep yep taking their goggles off when they don't need you know yep. like nobody's just... face is red or dry their lips aren't tapped nope. nobody looks like they have frost nip it's so there was there was one moment when near the end where Chris O'Donnell, I feel like, had something covering his face, like a balaclava or something covering his face. But for the most part, just happy yeah, those jackets zipped up or maybe opened up a little yeah. bit. Sometimes there are one strap in their backpacks. Yeah, you know? backpacks was like, like, it's a jam sport. I was like, come on, guys, you're not going to class right now. You know that backpack would be on and like buckled up. You'd have your hood it, on. It, you'd have like your full snow goggles on. You would not be able to see any of their skin because they wouldn't want to. Like, that's one of the best right? ways to get frostbite. <laughs> No supplemental oxygen. No supplemental oxygen. Even after they mentioned like how amazing it was that Ed is one of the only people to have climbed that many meters with oxygen. Like you'd think that they would think in the movie. So now we're all going to do it that way. (laughs) We're not going to learn anything from him except for that we don't need oxygen. (laughs) We don't need oxygen. We're not going to listen to him about rescuing people. No. But we are going to stop using oxygen. Oh my gosh. We're also not going to, like, let's talk about this crevasse rescue scene, okay? I just need to point out. Okay, let's do it. Like, Peter's sitting there. Peter's like, I have an idea. I'm just going to deadweight lift this person. I'm just going to haul them out with this rope by my bare hands. It's going to be fine. As we see, that does not work because that's not how you rescue people from a crevasse. You have to set up like a pulley system. So there's some sort of, you know, resistance to get this person up. You're not lifting a loaf of bread. (laughs) No. So, I mean, otherwise, I mean, there were a lot of things I thought they did well when you get into best outdoor kind of gear, footwear and apparel. And I thought the, the brands represented were really well. They looked fairly authentic. When they're hanging out at base camp, they were wearing kind of stuff that like, like if you and I showed up, we would be dressed like they would yeah. be dressed and those kinds of things. It wasn't just the North Face sponsored this movie and every single person has a North Face jacket. You saw, I saw Arc'teryx. We saw Jansport. We saw the North Face. We saw, you know, I think I saw a hardware logo. Like if they were all there, you know, so I'm sure that was not an easy undertaking to how and the production design to deploy all of those brands. Yeah. But, you know, the honorable mention for me on uh, outdoor gear, the best use of it is is the nitroglycerin. I, it's just the most conf- confounding decision to me in movie history. Like, at what point, I, if you gave, you and I sat here in a room and said, let's craft a Hollywood-esque climbing movie, how many drafts would we write before nitroglycerin like, oh, would enter minute. the story? I have an idea. And let's make it green so it looks like toxic ooze. We know how to get someone out of a crevasse. Let's trigger one million more avalanches. And let's just hope the crevasse doesn't get filled in with all of the snow and rock that we've just dislodged with our nitroglycerin exploding. Also, uh, his note to Annie in the crevasse isn't, hey, we're going we're gonna to displace the snow with an explosion. It's just bang. 
<laughs> it's like, I hope you interpreted all of our earlier Morse code correctly. <laughs> I will be exploding everything around you. So just this is code up. for they're going to ignite some nitroglycerin. And also, okay, so when this nitroglycerin explodes, which it does multiple times throughout the movie yes, it in does. multiple places, it does not always explode in the same way. Like, oh, we can just set it up to explode right next to this crevasse and everybody inside will be fine. But if it explodes on the side of this mountain, this dude is getting blown off. Oh, yeah. But this woman will stay on because I guess she put her, you know, she was holding on real tight to that rope. She did, to the point where her finger got, you know, dislocated. You know, that's fair. I think that's from banging into the wall after the explosion. That that was from when she was jamming the cam. (laughs) Yes. From from that willy-nilly, like, flying cam jam. Really one of the best climbing moves I've ever seen. The flying cam jam. Yeah, it's classic. But yeah, nitroglycerin just uh, just doing whatever it wants each time. But this time it'll be fine. We won't worry about it exploding so close to humans. And what about any? What about outdoor? Best use of outdoor gear, footwear, and apparel for you? Well, I think okay. The the decks is the star of the show here. You really they don't really explain to the average viewer what Dex is or why it's important to have this climb. But you can. It just works. Yeah, it just works when you're dying for us. It's fine. Um, but like the Dex was great. I don't know. Whenever at some point in the screenwriting process, they learned about Dex, they're like, hell yeah, we need to just put this in. We need to be jabbing people with it. I loved it because Dex is a reality that you're carrying on those mountains. Uh, mm-hmm. I also loved the, uh, Pakistani army helicopter really was doing the most. I mean, it did. It did all the heavy lifting. It was to literally and, you know, figuratively <laughs> up there carting them to, uh, you know, the thinnest Eric go-to while making real uh, unrealistic. We'll get into that in a second. I've got some problems <laughs> with that scene. But, you know, listen, that helicopter really showed up. I thought that was a great innovation. We love to see a helicopter in a movie. Um, and those, <laughs> those, like, giant miners headlamps that they were wearing in the crevasse. Oh yeah. <laughs> Look, okay. They're made out of uh, yeah. aluminum. They're like, here's my Coleman headlamp yeah. at Target in 1984. Uh but that that thing just went to the that went to the vertical limit because those they never seem to ever turn off. They're fine. They're not even flickering. Right. They are made to last. I would like to know the manufacturer of those headlamps. Well, so let's get into outdoor lessons learned. So my, my first one is your Ziploc bag can also double as a blood, blood collection sack for showing people where you are buried in the snow. Don't, that's a tip, outdoorsy people. I, you know, can we just can we just talk about this blood bag for a second? Because yes. the concession here is that they have uh, drained Bill Paxton, took a little bit of his murderese blood so they could send it up in this like sandwich bag with a flare. And when it emerges from the crevasse and explodes in the air, it unleashes a holy torrent of blood, unlike anything ever. So much blood. Like barrels, like barrels and barrels. Like if a, an entire brewery of blood just exploded. They drained every drop out of this poor guy, who, which would have been frozen probably by the time they got to doing right? it. But anyway. I, that was like, wow, where did all that? It was just a sandwich bag. Like what? How did that happen? They packed the special explosive flares too. Oh my gosh. <laughs> like, yeah, that was a special scene for me. Maybe not. And, as, and just five seconds earlier, she's trying to beat up Bill Paxton too. And then they just kind of resolve their differences pretty quickly <laughs> so they can get out together. Yes, we got to. They're all okay. Yeah. It's okay you killed that guy. We'll use his That's blood. That's fine. He's got, yeah. Let's go. There are other outdoor lessons learned. If you're if you're a spiritual mountain badass, you can get by in the Himalaya with a canvas parka and a, parka and a headband. <laughs> Listen, Montgomery Wick needs not anything else. 
He's got he's got like the LLB 1975 special and uh, a ripped piece of his T-shirt covering his ears. He's good. <laughs> yeah, that a wish and a prayer. He's a okay. Uh, my last one was movie stars don't need supplemental oxygen in the death zone. That's uh, that was my other outdoor lesson. Yeah, it's a superpower. It's like again, if you're climbing with Montgomery Wick, you really don't need much. That guy has like a halo of protection around him. I'm thinking so. Uh, you know, good for them for bringing him in. Did you have any lessons? Oh yeah, I've got some lessons. Okay, a make sure you're the one carrying the knife. Um, oh, big. You one. know. <laughs> oh man, yeah. So carry the knife. Always be the one to carry the knife. Um, yes. You know, even if it gives you a guilt complex later, uh, carry an Abbey beacon. I don't know, a probe, a shovel. Like I really, my lesson learned about that is an idea. Are all the things they didn't do. <laughs> right. Double check your anchor. They didn't have any climbers on set to help them out. <laughs> you know, they just had to make it up as they were going along. Ed was not there for that. <laughs> he was like, "Where's the crap service table?" Um, Ed's just eating like, a, "I'm not helping you, fucking people." <laughs> yeah, he's like, "I gotta get strong for my next climb." Guys. That's right. Um, Got to wear my cool Eddie Bauer pants. Uh, listen to the pros when it comes to weather forecasts. I don't know. It's almost as if they know what they're doing. And maybe you should, uh, when someone says, there is a crazy storm about to descend on this mountain, maybe your ego can go, I guess I'll take the day off and maybe we should go down. Any other lessons? Uh, no, I mean, really just listen to, you know, wizened old men that live in the mountains. In their canvas like coats. Yeah, they're, they're going to know everything with their, you know, ragtag vibes. They don't need capitalism. They don't need gear. They just need what fire burns within. My my, my last nitpick and sort of the grossest part of the movie was them them having having her kiss him over the sister, like right after all this shit happened. They literally, they get into the classic movie framing and the body positioning to the actors. And I'm like, and I I'm like, don't do it. Don't. Don't, oh, God damn it. There was not a single <laughs> moment in that film where you would have been like, I ship those two as a potential couple. Right. Not, there's not a moment that led to this moment. It was such, they were just like, oh no, wait, someone's got to kiss the hot girl. Yep. Well, yeah, it's like, there are two attractive white people. They're going to kiss, oh, obviously. That's, how movies work. <laughs> That's what happens. Yeah, and I think you could have had it happen, but it could have, then you need an epilogue where they're like, oh, they're back in the real world or something like that, well, right? But it's, yeah, or there needed to be like some lead up. There was some tension at base camp. Yeah. Maybe they were having some sensual energy. I don't know, but I, I, none of that happened. Chris was like this nerdy dude that just stumbled into base camp. His sister happened to be there because he, you know, he was shooting snow tigers or some shit. Like, <laughs> Also, we won't even... Like, God, we haven't touched on his photography career. <laughs> we haven't even touched on this. Like, yeah. Uh, but, you know. Yeah, and also this is minutes, presumably maybe hours after they had just rescued the, this girl from the crevasse, seen these other two people basically, you know, die at the hand of Montgomery yeah. Wick while the bled out body of the other guys like laying next door to all this yeah. happening. You know what I love doing? I like kissing. Just, I love That's kissing funny. in those moments. It's great for tension reduction. Just, it helps, uh, right? Yeah, it helps. I think they're still mm -hmm. together, those two? They, they, what happened um, what, what happened after the movie? Did they, did well, they get together? I mean, yeah, yeah. And then she, you know, she probably died in the mountains the next year or like maybe two or three years. <laughs> Working for the same guy. <laughs> Working for the same guy, yeah. Uh, unfortunately. Can we just go back to the nitro for a oh, second? Oh, please. I could talk about the nitro all day long. Like, so when we first are introduced to this nitro, it's in its little metal James Bondy containers, you know, we're like, oh, okay, it's unstable, but it's protected. And then suddenly this shot while they're up on the mountain cuts back to that little storage unit and they're all oozing everywhere. There's green sludge everywhere. It's everywhere. I mean, when did this happen? And then they try to explain like, oh, it's sunlight. I'm like, but they're in a shed. 
they're in a shed. Like how just the sun, the shed has been there for presumably a long time. So they would know if there was sun coming in and the nitroglycerin wasn't just deposited there that day. Like how did it just suddenly everything just starts oozing. But meanwhile, the shed ones are oozing, but the ones in their backpacks aren't oozing, even though they've been in the sun all day. They're fine. Until suddenly, oh, wait, <laughs> get them in the... And all they say, by the way, over the radio, this radio with incredible range is, shade, get them in the shade. And, and they just start like piling snow on top. They don't know why they're not... They just get it immediately. Get it in the shade <laughs> and now bury it. Like nobody tells you to bury it, but their instinct. I mean, maybe that would be my, I mean, my instinct would be like, fuck this shit. Yeah. I'm putting this in the shade and running far, far away or, you know, snow yeah. trudging far, far away. I, well, they said no one, when they're laying, laying out the plan in base camp, like, so we're going to carry this nitroglycerin. Yeah. <laughs> let's learn things about this combustible material before we leave. No, Sounds no, good. actually, let's not. Let's just go by gut. I was actually thinking before you said that, do we have any nitroglycerin? Because that could really help us up there to get these people out of the crevasse. Like, I just, yeah, nobody got, nobody, they were just like, just take it. Good luck to you. Or we're going to pretend we don't see you taking it, but we think it's a great idea. Like, I love that, that the, the Pakistani army guy is just like, I mean, I'm not giving you permission, but I'm not saying no. Not saying no. But I'm also not going to tell you anything about it. Do you think it was the nitroglycerin that got Martin Campbell the golden eye job? Do you think the Broccoli family is watching Vertical Limit and going, well, what we need is a guy who knows how to use nitro. You know, you know what I mean? Like, was that was that the deciding moment? Yeah, that and the kiss. Mm-hmm. And the kiss. Good point. Kiss a lot. Yeah. Like Bond movies, so. Right, right. Well, last thing we have to decide, did Vertical Limit make you want to go outside? Colin, I'm not even going to pretend that it didn't. I absolutely watched the opening scene in Monument Valley. And my yeah. immediate thought was A, okay, A, I remember this movie. And B, oh man, it's been a while since I've been to Utah. <laughs> <laughs> like, Spring desert trip, here we go. percent. <laughs> I'm absolutely going in March. But I, uh, yeah, so I immediately wanted to go to Utah. Not going to lie. And then I'm also real excited to get up into the Sierra this winter. So we've right. had a couple of storms come in. I got to see some beautiful snowy mountains in this movie. So I'm not going to lie. It absolutely made me want to go outside. Yeah, I, I agree. With you. I, when I wrote this, it was right after I watched it. I wrote maybe with a question mark. Because <laughs> I'm like, his parts definitely did. You know, other parts made me embarrassed to be an outdoor enthusiast. Um, but there was enough, you know, the... All the parts that were what we talked about, like the big vistas and all those things where you just get that like, oh, that's I love going and being immersed in that yeah. world. And yet even it doesn't even need to be that big, like just being on a trail, being near something that makes you feel good about being outside. Definitely got that vibe. The, yeah. the movie maker, the filmmakers did all they could do with all the dialogue and the action to rip that away from us. <laughs> but I think ultimately they, they it didn't happen. And I, yeah, it makes me want to go outside for sure. And that feels, I feel good about this. Like, I'm glad, glad to know that unlike our as yet unresolved fight over cotton, that <laughs> we're on the same page here. We are, we are. I feel like every 10 years, we need to revisit Vertical Limit on the show. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds great. I'll put that in my calendar. 10 years from now, I'll be like, all right, it's time. We need to, we need to sit, we need to get, we can't watch it in between. <laughs> no, <laughs> every 10 years, like a special anniversary. Exactly. Showgirls of Mountaineering. Actually, that would be an excellent, uh, pairing you know double feature what do you what do you oh pair with vertical limit is it showgirls honestly maybe i'll watch showgirls tonight <laughs> <laughs> is that is that the new category does this movie make you want to watch showgirls yeah it's a great category actually <laughs> well that's vertical limit i think we did it so uh 
So Shante, where, what's going on with you? Where can people find you? Anything people should be checking out right now? Oh gosh. Well, I am deep in the work. I actually have the first deadline for a new book that I'm writing. Uh, so that I will have more on that soon. Can I keep okay. it close to the mess right now? But, um, but yeah, otherwise you can find me on the Instagrams and at, uh, by my name. So Shante Salabert, S-H-A-W-N-T-E-S-A-L-A-B-E-R-T.com is my website. Woo. Um, and it hasn't been updated in a long time. <laughs> It's all right. He's or there. you can go to whatwouldedo.blogspot.com. Oh my gosh. Yeah, you could go there. <laughs> Just know what you're in for, okay? It's something. Well, be sure to follow or subscribe to The Rock Fight wherever you're listening to this and send all of your comments on Vertical Limit to myrockfight at gmail.com. The Rock Fight's a production of Rock Fight LLC. For Shante Salabert, I'm Colin True. Thanks for listening. And here to take us out is Krista Makes from Less Than Jake with the Rock Fight fight song. We'll see you next time, Rock Fighters. Rock fight.